to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Welcome, Jeremy. How are you this week? Good, buddy. We are getting closer to build MVP summits in another week, and so we're trying to make sure we give the MVPs a good time and share as much as we possibly can with them that is going to be kind of stuff post build to get them all excited about what we're working on. Yeah, the schedule builder got released so we can see the goodies that might be coming. Although they still haven't fixed this problem that if I sign up for a session, I can't sign up for a second one at the same time. Like to have it on my calendar to pick at the last minute, it's really kind of weird. So if you're running a conference, don't lock people in rooms, let them bounce around. So, but excited to be there. It'd be great to to be there, he show you all how to, to shovel snow. <laughs> you need to learn to be decisive, Paul. That's what it is. Well, I know what I want to hear, but I don't know that I want to sit and listen to it or do I want to read about it. So the, that's kind of the... Yeah, I, that's true. The, that, They're just trying to do it to get a number idea of numbers in the rooms. I, I totally making understand. Making a decision. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. It just doesn't work with my style, you know, so... I know. <laughs> it is all about me. You can write them all down by hand on your... Um, <laughs> Your granite slate with chalk and carry that around with you all week. Chalk, man, I was going to bring my chisel. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, should I bring my snow removal instructions for, or is it going to be, I'll be gone? Well, I tell you what, yesterday <laughs> I woke up and I had a 7am call with a group of people and looked at the window and I was like, I don't remember anyone mentioning snow. And we'd had, <clears throat> excuse me, another three inches overnight. Um, but fortunately it rained at lunch and washed it all away. But uh, yeah, I was like, oh no, I'm stuck at home again. You had a picture on the Twitters about off-roading your car and, and there was nothing in, it was in a parking lot. There wasn't any snow. Was, that little dark spot. There was the tiniest spot. bit of snow. <laughs> and as I reversed into the spot, I kind of saw it, but I figured it was fluff and my rear wheels spun on it so hard. Um, so I turned off traction control to get over it. And uh, just hoped it melted before I left for the day. <laughs> so here's the trick. Don't mash your foot on the accelerator. Just let the car no, move all on its own. I, did, I didn't. <laughs> th- th- that car just wants to go. That's the problem. <laughs> a, a public service announcement. You can use the steering wheel, the brake, or the accelerator on snow, but you can't use more than one at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so, so I'm glad you made yeah. it through. Yeah, that was nerve-wracking yesterday. It's making me realize I should have bought another four-wheel drive car or probably have kept the S5 would have probably been the smart move. Yeah, or just get a regular normal car. Your your daughter's getting bigger. You'll end up with a minivan soon enough, so. No, she's pretty cute. Whenever we go in that car, she likes the noise it makes. And if we're going downhill, she's always puts her hands up and goes, wee. (laughs) And the other day, my wife was in the car with me and she'd never heard her do it. And she looked at me like, really? You've taught her that? Oh, there you go. On the right track. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She'll be a rev head before she knows it. Sitting down watching IndyCar with me every weekend. There you go. There you go. Hey, you know what? It's, it's a learning experience because my son would watch NASCAR and he would memorize the drivers and their numbers and stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, that's it's a learning school. Feat. I know. That's, I know. Especially when they get wiped out so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and they change every year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, so um, this week had a big one. 
but it's gone out very quietly, um, which is the msal.net 3 was released. And the way that the identity org do this is first through uh, a GitHub release on their wiki page. And then there's a bigger splash with a blog post on the identity blog. Um, so those, and actually it was you that put this in the show notes. So obviously you know where to look. Um, <laughs> I dabble just in this to area be clear, a bit. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, it is .NET, sorry, msale.net 3 version 3. Um, it is still preview. It's not generally available. So, but it's a big enough change in the SDK that it couldn't stay being V2, but it's not a big enough change yet that they will bless it as a generally available release. Well, as, as we've learned over the last month or so with a big event coming up uh, in the springtime, so I would expect things to finalize after that event or right that week as opposed to pre. But it's nice to see this stuff is, again, dripping out sooner rather than later. And and uh, this is a long-awaited update, and I, I have to assume the other platforms will follow in either closely behind or at the same time, the other platforms being, of course, JavaScript and and the native uh, stuff for iOS and Android. So uh, always yeah. good stuff moving along. They, um, they pushed really hard with internal first-party apps to use MSAL V2. And so the the difference between V2 and V3 was really because of the feedback they got from our internal products using this library. And, um, and so, you know, it does show that it works to dog food internally on these things rather than ship it, have everyone like jump on this as a generally available thing and then us wanting to try and make a breaking change. So I kind of get the side of it, but I also feel like three years has been too long to have a identity SDK go live for .NET. Yeah, yeah. And although it's, it's worth pointing out that, you know, the the endpoints haven't changed. Uh, well, the registration UI is obviously moving into the Azure portal, but if you have code that's running, there's really no worries um, again, yeah. as as you rev your code, it, it becomes much easier. And MSL two had some some nice abstractions over the over the the, the yeah. There's the, some key the parts so, in there yeah. around conditional access that will become a little bit more mainstream, I think, yeah. as enterprises pick up on that stuff. And obviously, if you're using anything against the graph, and there's conditional access rules that trigger, like, hey, Paul can't be in. Australia and London and Chicago all at once, we're actually going to block the API call. If they're using the ADOR library, <clears throat> it won't it won't handle that very gracefully, whereas the MCL one will. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff like that that is why you would move to MCL. But um, yeah, just look for build for w- where we're getting at from a general availability perspective. Yeah, and I actually um, had... had- Kicked around some M style M style stuff recently, and I would for those longtime users of identity, right? So the the, the jump from ADAL to M style is a bit different. The the class names have changed. Uh, the, the auth context is abstracted out into the clients, but it's it's not a massive um, amount of work. But there's a different terminology and slightly different method structures. But at the end of the day, you're calling a acquire token, so it's certainly worth looking at M style now, so that. When your organization wants to use these advanced features, such as conditional access or B2C, some of those things aren't in the old ADAL libraries because they didn't exist back yeah. then. So it certainly is worth getting ahead of that uh, uh, now. So, And one, one thing I did with this was um, they took some advice based on my own personal experience where we're upgrading our graph samples to like the latest and greatest MCL. And 
you know, you switch the NuGet version over and suddenly all your code, well, that's a bit exaggerating, but code breaks. And so then you're in this, like, how do you get it to compile again phase? And so what they're doing now with these announcements between the major versions is they're actually listing what the breaking changes are and what they went from to. So it's super easy for you to kind of read that and change your code from it working with V2 mCell to it working with V3 mCell. So again, you know, they, they do listen really hard to um, dog fooders on this stuff to make sure that we make the experience as easy as possible for developers out there. Yeah, so right. Glad to see you. So there's another big... Uh so uh, Azure thing coming, if you will, I, 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 you got to love the, the vagueness of that. But there is a preview service called Azure App Configuration that has, has come out in the last week or so. The We posted a link to the, the preview documentation, and it's a little sparse at the moment. And there's not really a good summary. But at a high level, the idea here is that there is a service that you can use in Azure that will track your application settings or your app configuration, but think think app settings with point in times and labels. I, I draw a comparison to the the variables you can use in a dev release pipeline, DevOps release pipeline in that uh, in environment one, the value is going to be X and environment two, the value is going to be Y. A similar kind of thing for all app settings and um, including things like tagging with labels. So you could you know tag a setting with label V1 and then change the value all you want. But as long as your code is reading it for that particular label, it'll always get the same value. So it really will help with that rapid deployment as we are in these these days with uh, you know applications always always being revved around. So um, interesting stuff to, to, to kick around the tires. It's in preview. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but I'm certainly excited. And the last thing I would say is they do have a note that says that they complement Key Vault for secrets. So this this uh, we don't necessarily have to in, incur the cost of Key Vault or, or encrypting every app setting, but you can complement it with something that's less secure using this service. So I'm excited to try this thing out. Yeah, I, I like the idea of this because the projects I worked on as a consultant, which is going away back now, but and even to be honest, at Avpoint when I was there as the architect even products there had different ways of doing configuration. And so having this as like a standardized way of handling deployment, release builds, uh, you know, that's just defined and there's no kind of variance is going to be so much easier for new devs to come on or, you know, less likely for mistakes to happen if you've got some kind of custom way that you've done this in the past. So I really like what they're doing here with Azure and trying to make the dev experience even more on Rails um, and standardized across projects, which is great. Well, but Yeah, but, you know, this is actually more than just a developer thing, right? So what what if I'm, I'm using uh, an external service and that external service has a change in its endpoint or or I have to roll a secret for that external service using in Key Vault, right? I don't necessarily need to redeploy uh, something out of DevOps just because an environment variable has to change, right? So yeah, think of it that way, true. where this would be, let me do, and if you use the options pattern in .NET Core, it can reload things as you change them. So it's really kind of uh, giving a, that, that flexibility DevOps has with non-developer pushes. So uh, really exciting yeah, to that's see. that's true. Yeah. And then out there in the community this week, um, one that I know will relieve a lot of people that I work with externally, such as yourself, um, Teams does allow you in the top right corner to switch between your primary teams tenant and your non-primary teams tenant. And for instance, I have a bunch of Microsoft teams where I integrate or 
I integrate the MVPs externally with our internal PMs so that they can, PMs can ask questions and MVPs can engage. We're actually seeing a lot more engagement through Teams than we are in Yammer or through email in the mechanisms we've used in the past. Um, but the biggest problem is, is that you kind of have to switch between the tenants at the top right, which isn't an instant thing. Um, Slack doesn't have this problem because you can have multiple tenants for lack of a better word. I don't know what Slack even call those things, but what Tommy to had pointed out, which I don't think he built is an open source project by his username is Gia Hogue, but it doesn't really say what that is, but there's a, a native fire, um, open source project that Tommy has tweeted on how you can use to have multiple instances of teams running on your windows machine or your Mac actually that allows you to be logged into different accounts. Um, so you're welcome for bringing that up on the show. Cause I personally <laughs> don't have to worry about it cause I'm Microsoft and everyone comes to our tenant and it's everybody else's problem. But, um, I am a little bit over people complaining about this. Um, and I know like for instance, Paul, if I message you, uh, on your, I don't know what even account I have. I think it might be your add in three six five. Well, no, actually, because we started account. this before I had changed, so that's oh, my that's right. you know so shayfly.net. Yeah, so I have different accounts. I'm, I'm teams with different accounts, and those teams are in various. So I'm I'm switching all the time. But what's kind of crazy is uh, on my iPad, I can switch tenants. So I'm not switching accounts, but I log in with my account. I can switch between tenants and it's very fast it's it's yeah. not even well, it's the same story with so, uh, like outlook or you know like outlook is just so much easier to triage my mail on in on my ipad than it is on my windows machine which is absolutely totally embarrassing that that's the case like switching between the mail view and the calendar view on outlook desktop is like a four second process on windows whereas on the iPhone or iPad, it's like instant. See, I'm the other way around. I I I I think that the mobile Outlook client is too sparse for me. I can't see everything I want to see. Like thread, the thread view doesn't look right to me. But then again, I have my big monitor with mail folder open and the calendar folder open, and I launch it in the morning, and it just stays open all the time. So, um, but yeah, yeah but the choice is good. The choice is good. So, uh, I'm I'm intrigued by this. Um, this native fire thing, but I'm holding out hopes that the team's team is going to actually, yeah, I mean, listens. they can do it on the uh, iPad. So I got to believe the windows thing will get there eventually. And maybe they're waiting for something from windows themselves. I'm, I don't know the whole story or I don't know if there is a story, but I'm holding out hope. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep hearing it as well. This is only a small set of people and it's the MVPs that are usually impacted by it, but I don't necessarily buy into that. Cause I feel like there's a lot of customers that have their own tenants that are, joining teams in other people's tenants. So this isn't just MVPs talking to Microsoft. I think this is a broader yeah, problem. Yeah, absolutely. The customers of ours are added to teams in our tenant. And so- yeah, that makes total sense. Obviously, that's good for me because they come to me, but uh, I'm sure they have that pain um, that, that I experienced going elsewhere. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, thanks to Tommy for pointing that out. Um, the next item I found out, uh, I listed in a, as a community link, but it's the, the W3C and FIDO finalized web standard for passwordless logins. And so if you're using Microsoft's Authenticator app, as many listeners probably are, you'll see there's the ability now to just uh, um, click the approve button on your phone to do the login. I have to type in a password anymore. And, and, and there's actually some guidance from Microsoft's identity group about, you know, 
set passwords to not expire and turn on multi-factor auth. And so this is kind of the behind the scenes standards finalization happening across the industry to support this. Um, the FIDO Alliance is um, focused on the identity space and they talk, that's the standard that the authenticator app is using. Although I shouldn't say that with complete confidence because I don't know the details, but that's the concept. So, um, and this, the what I'm posted, I've, posted a link to the press release and they go through a little bit of background and a bajillion links for you to read more about that. So the, the moral of the story is uh, the industry is rallying around this standard. The password list logins are secure and they're committed to keep them secure. So if you are on the fence about whether you should make users turn, you know, use multi-factor or if you're worried about password list logins, hopefully this will help alleviate some of those concerns. Yeah, that's cool. I don't have one of those widgets yet, although I did know that um, they're as good as a sister show as you can get when two best friends are on it. But um, Andrew Connell and Chris Johnson actually give away a branded um, FIDO2 device that you can use. I've seen a few people tweet those. I'm like, that's really good swag. Yeah, but as long as they haven't hacked it. Well, yeah. <laughs> but if I does that replace the app on my phone? Yeah, like, well, or then I gotta carry two used. things. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's me. You get off my lawn. But anyway, so anyways, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, good to see that coming in. And I haven't seen that. I guess I should get on the social media and find that stuff. Although I expect I'll see one or two of those guys in my trips up to Seattle. So yeah, no, I'm just to see what the device form factor is. I'm, it's basically it's like a USB dongle thing. Um. Okay, so then another one that was uh, I came across like literally this morning, Chris O'Brien po- tweeted it and just added it to the list last minute, was his SharePoint nuts and bolts website still good and strong. And uh, he just blogged a little bit about what we were talking about recently around um, Microsoft Teams blog announcement of provisioning Teams from a template. And uh, as usual, Chris does a great job of not just going, here's the sample code that you can use in a JSON against the team-posts endpoint. But um, he also kind of highlights some of the things, the gotchas and things you need to take into account when you're doing this stuff. Um, so it's it's great to kind of see that, you know, you can do those things where you can tab, where you can have like tabs show up in a team in a particular channel all through JSON, which is nice. Yes, yeah, so it's great to see. And uh, I, I, while this is beta and uh, the beta endpointer graph, and everyone knows, well, yeah, beta, you have to be careful. But I would uh, caution because the Teams team is iterating rapidly, and, and which is mm-hmm. great. I mean, that, that's not a criticism. But again, this uh, it certainly is. Sometimes you can use beta in you know so, pseudo production and keep your eye on it. This one, I would be very careful because they're iterating a lot. And and uh, well, and it's the schema that's in the the post body yeah, that's going to change exactly. And that, yeah, and, that, and that's yeah. going to make it a little bit hard to keep up with what's changed and what hasn't in that schema file. Yeah. Well, but it's more than just that because some of the concepts that they're using are are not used elsewhere in the graph or they're used differently than in other areas of the graph. And there's a, a conversations going on around that. And so, uh, again, it, but it's great to see. It, it's great to see if everyone's going to want to, there's a bazillion provisioning engines out there and they're all going to want to play in the team's playground. So uh, this is a great way to get started. In. And so, uh, as usual, nice work from Chris to lay it out in a simple, easy to understand format. Yeah. 
So the the last community thing uh, I found this week is an article from Nandeep Netchan, and I apologize if I just Americanized your name, Nandeep. And this is a post on <laughs> C Sharp Corner where he talks about you integrating adaptive cards with SPFX. And um, big props to him because I had this idea at the Dev Kitchen a year and a half ago and never got around to actually writing it up. So <laughs> glad to see that someone actually did. But uh, adaptive cards, uh, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, we had the episode with uh, David Cloud talking about them. But if you want to use cards in a SharePoint framework component, the, he walks through the steps on how to do that. There is a... Um, there is a NPM package for adaptive cards that you can call into and do the rendering, and he uh, steps through how to do all that. So uh, good stuff to see there, and uh, spread the spread the word on on adaptive because it's certainly worthwhile. And that reminds me, I you know a while ago I posted a I have an Azure website that hosts the raw adaptive sample cards. So if you I should post that. Um, if you want to get a card, you know, there's the designer card playground, but if you're, if you, you, the idea of using adaptive cards is I'd make a call to some data service and then render the card. So I took that sample cards and it's hosted on a website in Azure somewhere. So I'll put that there as well. So, uh, certainly worthwhile getting, uh, up to speed on how adaptive is working, how adaptive cards are working and start using them in your apps. Cool. Yeah, so this week, uh, our episode is another one that I recorded when I was up in Toronto. I sat down with Rez Kamis, and um, he is uh, works at a, a system integrator up in Canada, and we talk a bit about the integration work he's doing as well as some community events that are hosted up there. Interestingly, they have one called powerofthecloud.net. It's an a interesting-looking event where they're just trying to get uh, power users and maybe decision makers in a room and extol the virtues of the cloud and, you know, try to counter some of the, the concerns and misconceptions that folks have. So certainly worth, uh, int- worth checking that out. Cool. Well, thanks for doing that. And you've got a few more lined up, uh, from Mark Crackley's conference next week in, uh, the middle of nowhere. The middle of nowhere. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Although, I mean, I live in the middle of the country, so it's not so bad middle of nowhere for it's me, true. but, uh, yeah, it certainly I is. love it. It's just such a contrast to living in New York or living in in Washington, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and what I, the, the big my biggest complaint is the timing because it'll now that I'm an old man and there's a grandkid at home, I being on the road for a week and a half is not my cup of tea. But <laughs> we'll make do. Yeah. Although I I'll be on the road for two weeks in in Frankfurt in London, which I don't mind that so much. <laughs> Maybe the middle of nowhere <laughs> is the problem. I guess. Sorry, Mark, but, but I'll be there with smiles on. Um, and there's a Landshark Bar right the, right by the conference now that just opened up. So if you can't find me. Oh, Oh, nice. You'll know where I'm at. <laughs> You'll, be the bar. You'll be working in air quotes. Yes, exactly. Although you won't be able to cool. come by and get me back to the hotel, so I should probably no. That's right. You have to find to someone that. else to chaperone you this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, excellent. This is a great as usual, and uh, I guess next time we chat, we'll be in person. So looking forward to to getting up there. Yeah, it'd be great to catch up. Enjoy your travel, mate. All right. So today I'm here with Rez Kamis. Welcome, Rez. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Nerez Kamis. Everybody calls me Rez. Everybody knows me in the industry as Rez. I've been an MVP for probably around 10 years now, and I specialize in Office 365 services, including development and architecture. Work for a company called CreoSpark. We're out of Canada, up here in Toronto. 
thank you for com- coming to visit us today <laughs> in this beautiful summery weather. Yeah, um, the people in Seattle thought they had snowmageddon, but we're like, whatever, right? This yeah. is six inches of snow. Yeah, I think you're going to miss your flight today, by the way. Hey, stop saying that. <laughs> if you, you were John White, I'd be worried. Yeah. But <laughs> Come crash at my house. <laughs> so what is CreoSpark? What is it you guys do? We specialize in enterprise integration using with Office 365 using Azure as kind of the middleware. So we work with a lot of big enterprises, banks, um, telecommunications companies, and we look at all their SaaS-based systems, whether that's Salesforce, SAP, Workday, etc. And then usually at some point they want to do some sort of integration with Office 365, a lot of the time SharePoint, and we help them do that facilitating through Azure serverless technologies and on the development side, Azure automation, functions, logic apps. So, so f- serverless, are you using the functions to move data back and forth? Is- yeah, that's the idea. So a simple use case is um, Salesforce. It actually costs a lot of money to store documents in because as you get to a certain threshold, they start charging you a lot more on a per user per month basis where most of the, most of the organizations that use Salesforce already have Office 365. So why not leverage the terabyte per user space you have there to store the documents in there and surface them up from as links from Salesforce. So uh, usually when we go into organizations, it's more than a simple use case like that. They need to transfer the security. They need to transfer the metadata. So we do, we help them from that aspect. So that's kind of a common use case for us. And so you have a lot of functions running then? And does it scales like they advertise? It works good? Well, yeah, it, it works great. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And then, um, when the, is the, are these functions uh, a, a lot of custom code? Is it really a lot of work, or is it really just again shuffling stuff back and forth? How, how it, complex do they get? It depends on the customer. Um, some of the customers are simple, simply as you know what. As soon as something happens in Salesforce, some sort of opportunity account or object gets created, go and create me a library in SharePoint and create a link in Salesforce. That's a simple, simple use case, right? Because you get a link to the library from Salesforce. User just stays in Salesforce. When they want to upload a document, they click on the link. However, some customers have more complex security. So based on you know who has access to the opportunity, who has access to the account, you know what groups of people. In some cases, we've had to transfer a whole bunch of metadata back and forth from and to SharePoint, uh, et cetera, like that. So it could be complex. Okay, and so on the uh, on the Office three sixty five side, um, talking to SharePoint, I'm guessing uses the graph. At yes. That point. Yeah. So so I know there was some work that the identity team did to help with the token acquisition in in serverless. Or do you use those capabilities? Well, we mostly carry through the tokens through the logic apps. Okay. So they're already authenticated there. But then in the functions. Um, yes, they're also have to be used in the Okay, and you well. found that experience as a developer, is it a lot to learn? Is it easy enough to get through? It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's pretty much just copying and pasting some of your code probably. <laughs> it's out there on the internet for my devs and then right. and they go and re- use the sample code. And uh, a lot of it is as much as we can. We try to use the out of the box logic apps actions to do it. Okay. Um, if it can handle it, but a lot of the cases, the edge cases where, you know, we need to do IRM for for an example um, that needs to be coded. So. Okay, all right. And then um, the um, we're I'm in Toronto this week uh, working with Microsoft at a Teams uh, developer event. So do you guys do a lot of work in Teams, or is this more just you on the side? Or yeah, so right now it's mostly me on the side, but the organizations are starting to really start 
asking about it, wanting to leverage it, start off with, you know, let's start using Teams instead of Skype, that's the first step, right? Let's get them to start using that. And then um, and then once they see all the capabilities that Teams can do, that's when we're going to start introducing them to these. But we only have a few customers here in Toronto that are actually interested in doing the Teams development, but a lot of them don't even know it's possible. So, yeah, right. So yeah. on the cusp, I'm running into that quite a bit as well. A lot of people are kicking the tires, so to speak. Right, right. 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 So so what's your take on the Teams extensibility story? Uh, that you, you like it? You love it? You oh. wish it was something different? <laughs> I, I actually really like it because it keeps everybody in their own workspace, especially when you're working on a team, you're focused on a project, you're in that team, you want to surface up all the information, whether it's bugs, whether it's, you know, projects, schedules, you, you kind of want to stay in that one interface, have your conversations there, have your application surface there, you know, have some cool bots that you can create to interact with, um, you know, the projects and the teams you're in. So I, I really like it. Yeah. And have, have you, um, I, you demoed a little bit of a, a Q&A maker bot yeah. uh, at, at this thing. So uh, what's your take on that? That is actually really cool. So at Microsoft, the Ignite tour, I did a, uh, a session on how to create a bot in five minutes. And it took me seven minutes to create just because <laughs> Azure was a little bit slow. But um, it's a really simple process. And if people just really got to know how to do it in Azure, they would, I'm sure tons of organizations would do it because you, all you're doing is pointing the Q&A maker to a URL which has, or a document which has FAQs and the bot's pretty much already created for you. So. Yeah, so was the Q&A maker, sir, I remember seeing a demo, now this might have been a long time ago, but um, there was an interface for a human to come in and look at, review the questions and help fine tune the answers. Is that still yep. a capability? There is a website. Um, if you just Google Q&A Maker, I think it's Q&A Maker dot something. Um, but you just go to that website and you, you sign in and you basically upload your document and your FAQs and then it gives you a list of the questions and the answers. You could add your own questions or answers. You could tweak it. You can, you know, go through as you go along. It's going to, you want to want it to learn as well and adjust the questions as well. So it's really simple. Excellent. And then it, it, obviously Teams is more than just a bot. Is there other parts of Teams that you've uh, extended or, or kicked the tires on? Uh, mostly focused on bots, but obviously tabs. The whole tab experience is really important for surfacing those Chromeless applications where you want people to be focused on. So that's an area that we try to do. Um, and then um, the other area that's really cool is the whole messaging extensions and items like that where you're kind of surfacing a whole experience. Uh, surfacing a whole experience for your users um, through like a wizard based or a modal experience really nice so. and, and then um, so in this tying back to this integration that you work that you you do with these other SaaS systems is there opportunities there for teams do you see uh, potential or? oh yes yeah. so like my team is already starting to that whole integration aspect that's where we're focusing on enterprise integration we're trying to create some tabs and already some apps that we can build in teams which surface up all the information a lot of these big companies already have their apps that they publish to the store already and we're trying to figure out those edge cases to try to publish them. those big companies meaning the SaaS providers the SaaS providers yeah okay yeah. so for example salesforce and Workday, they're already starting to look at all that stuff and that okay yeah. okay connectors yeah, so i'm not familiar with those services but um yeah i would imagine there's probably always some unique way that customer X wants to use the system, right? Most We've definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And then um, the 
uh, I, I, you're, as you mentioned before, you're, you're also an MVP. So uh, you did have a little blurb about a community event coming up here in Toronto, yes, in June sometime? Yes. Um, so we're here delivering a developer-focused team session, you and I. Um, but a lot of the users, as you guys see, that are coming to these are not developers. So they're actually <laughs> IT pros and, you know, they could be managers, salespeople, and the technical folks that don't want to be developers. We don't know why, but they don't well, want to be. You know. But uh, <laughs> um, but um, we're doing a Power of the Cloud conference. I think it's first week of June. It's powerofthecloud.net. So this is a power user focused conference. So we're for those non-developers, the people who don't want to go to SharePoint Saturdays because there's a lot of development there. There's a lot of admin stuff there. It's strictly power users. Those people who are the champions in their organization, people come to uh, other people in the organization go to them to create these little business apps that are focused, really simple based um, business apps, which you can create in Power Apps, Flow, you know, Teams, you know, the, 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 what the normal end user does not do, just a little bit above that, right? So it's focused to them. It's a little bit different than a SharePoint Saturday where, where we're going to focus on one session, kind of the collaboration. One session is collaboration and content management. One session is business process management. And the next session is Azure, kind of Azure. Uh, all of them have having a power user focus. And at the end of the day, we have about a two-hour lab, which we go through. And you're actually hands-on, actually implementing what you've done at the end. So hand building, what type, you said Azure. So when I hear power or power user, Azure doesn't, it doesn't strike me as an Azure type capability. So what does that really mean? Yeah, so from an Azure perspective, it's actually more of an intro, introduction to Azure. Okay. So a power user capability, we've tried to figure out what are those power user capabilities, but it could be something like creating a Windows 7, Windows 10 VM in the cloud, right? So okay. you, might, you might have something you want to test out. So we're trying to figure out what the best thing there is on the Azure track, but it's more of an intro to Azure okay. that section. So the the Office 365 stuff is more of the power user. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and they um, one of the the sessions you did yesterday was the the Power App inside of a team. Yes. And so and you look very comfortable in Power Apps. So do you do a lot of work with uh, with Power Apps? It, I looked very comfortable because I did a lot of practicing <laughs> on it. But um, yes, I've done a few power apps. So a cool at a big auto, auto, um, automobile organization here in actually all over the world. But <laughs> I did a power app when it first came out in beta where um, we were just testing out whether people liked the food in their cafeteria. So outside the cafeteria, we put a tablet with the power app on there where they would just say rate the number of stars. They click on the star, and then it get pushed pushed to a flow behind the scenes, and then you get a Power BI of how the rating was, wow. a dashboard of how the rating has been over the last month. So, pretty cool yeah, stuff there. Yeah, yeah. So, so if I'm a I'm a developer and I'm comfortable in Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, is Power Apps an option? Is it something? Is it worthwhile? Or is it really just a power user? I I guess my my question is, I'm always concerned to start down something and then it's going to frustrate me because it doesn't have the level of control that I like. Uh, is my assumption correct there, or is it really uh, let me dig down into the details if I need to be pixel perfect, so to speak? Well, if you're if you're looking to get everything exactly the way you want it to be, then maybe Power Apps is not the right option. Although it's becoming really really flexible from yeah. when I used it more like a year ago. So, it, it if you know Excel, if you can. As a developer, most of the things should come naturally for you. Okay. A little bit of 
just knowing the syntax of stuff, but it's pretty straightforward. And, and its capabilities for power users, I'm guessing, is, is up to par. Is it's probably, you know what? It might be a little bit harder for a, a regular power user. Okay. I would say it's in between that developer and power user right now, even though they're pushing it for power users because you need to know your Excel formulas. You need to know um, some other <laughs> technical stuff. Which, uh, okay, uh, we're getting there, right? And, yeah, and you mentioned there. integrating with Flow, so I guess that the and, and you mentioned Logic Apps too. So yeah. um, I, I think that there there's a lot of potential there, right? Do you feel? Um, do, do you feel that that's a, a nice toolkit for a developer to have is to at least understand? Oh, most exactly. definitely. If you want to get something up and running real quickly, it's going to take you a couple of minutes in Power Apps where if you're going to code that from scratch, okay, um, then it would take you a lot longer. Right? And, so. and, and Logic Apps too, I'm guessing then, right? So it, it, those can be somewhat straightforward, I'm guessing, to, to build up. Have you, have you done a lot of that? Well, if you're using Flow, um, then the interface is very similar to Logic Apps. Okay. So Logic Apps just takes it to the next level. So and then the licensing model as well. It's all, you know, based on usage in the in on Azure. Okay. And whereas Flow is for licensing. So, so a developer who likely has an Azure subscription, uh, that, that's an option as opposed oh, yeah. to writing a web service, right? Yeah, and also the the case for your customer, right? Like, do they want to? Um, create workflows and automation based on, you know, and to be charged on a per license basis on what you have in Office 365, or, or do you want to actually just host it in Azure and be um, based on a usage? Okay. Basis. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the. So do you? You know, that kind of begs the question. I was having a conversation with a couple of guys earlier, and and the 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 fact that Teams is in the cloud means that the organization has to be in the cloud. Are you? I'm guessing with your work in the SaaS space, cloud's kind of a, a, a already you know set up, ready to go. But you're finding pushback on cloud organizations much or? Not anymore. Yeah. I would say about two years ago, a year and a half ago, there was a lot of pushback, but now. Now everybody's pretty much set. I actually had one customer though email me yesterday and said, "I need Office 2016 on the on premise, and I want to buy it because my um, CMS system only supports that." And I'm like, "Why does it support the client version? Why can't it use?" whatever versions in the cloud and uh, they couldn't give me a reason they just said <laughs> i need yeah. that for some, like so but no i'm not i'm feeling a lot of pushback on moving to the cloud nowadays so okay so other than your power user Power of the cloud.net event. Yes. What other events might people run across across you coming up? Yeah, so I will be at SharePoint Saturday Montreal upcoming. I can't remember when it is. I think it's in May. Yeah. We'll, we'll dig it up and put a link on the show, so yeah. that's okay. Yeah, SharePoint Saturday Montreal, SharePoint Saturday Toronto always. I try to stick around the Ontario or you know, our region mm -hmm. okay. in terms of, but I'm also going to be speaking at the SharePoint conference and going to be doing a OneDrive and Flow session there, possibly a workshop there as well on OneDrive. Um, I think that's about it right now. Okay. So, so if you're at SharePoint Conference, you have a speaker code. So what's your speaker code? Maybe we'll get to My speaker code is my last name, which is K-H-A-M-I-S. Okay. Um, Feel free to use that to save a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, hey, if saving money, enough yeah. money is always yeah. always an option there. So, um, and if folks want to see you online, how do they get a hold of you or yep. reach out to you? Yeah, so you can. Um, so my Twitter handle is my first initial last name, which is N K H A M as in Mary I S, and then um, the company website is creospark.com, C R E O S P A R K.com. 
And then my blog site is mylastname.net, so camis.net, K-H-A-M-I-S.net. Awesome. Perfect. And thanks for taking 15 minutes out of the day here today. I know that uh, it can be trouble with uh, lots of attendees around, oh. so I appreciate it. Oh. And look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 